Welcome to the Motor City Hoops Podcast, your home for all things Detroit Pistons and NBA. Thank you for choosing Motor City Hoops, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to episode 67 of the Motor City Hoops podcast. If you are new to the Motor City Hoops podcast, I'm your host, Bryce Simon, a former D1 Hooper, current teacher, coach, husband, father of three amazing kids, and contributor at Detroit Bad Boys of SB Nation. And after a week off due to the schedule, we are back today with one of our weekly episodes talking about all things Pistons and the storyline surrounding the team. And there is nobody I'd rather get back into this with than the man himself, Omari Sankofa, Detroit Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Omari, welcome back to the Motor City Hoops podcast, and thank you for joining me. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, man. Uh, first time on the pod, I believe, since Summer League. So obviously a lot's happened since then. So definitely a lot for us to dig into. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we had Omari whenever I was out in Vegas. We were both out in Vegas those first couple of days. He came over. We recorded. That one was a lot of fun. And before we get started, Omari, I have to ask, I know you've been, you know, you've, you've tweeted this out. So it's not, you know, a secret or anything like that. You know, you tested positive for COVID. I just want to, you know, see how you are doing, make sure health wise you're doing OK. And I'm sure the listeners are interested to know as well. Sure. Yeah. So I tested uh, positive 10 days ago. Uh, had felt a little sick that week, but, you know, I just figured, you know, seasons are, are changing and, uh, you know, you like, you know, how it is in, in early November and uh, then I lost my uh, taste. And uh, like right when I got back from a road trip, I just couldn't taste any food. So, uh, you know, that's really when you lose your, your smell and, and taste, that could really only be one thing. And uh, tested positive, rapid test came back positive, uh, PCR came back positive the next day. So, yeah, I've kind of just been on IR uh, last week and a half or so. Uh, no severe symptoms, uh, but, uh, you know, but still had a positive test. So I uh, just took it easy for 10 days and uh, retested today. And actually the rapid test came back negative today, thankfully. And I'm still waiting for the PCR, but that's going to come back tomorrow. And hopefully that will also be negative. So uh, definitely a good sign. Uh, I never really felt that sick, honestly. Uh, it was just more so just kind of like a mild cold. Uh, and I was fully vaccinated with uh, two shots of uh, Pfizer and uh, I'm actually due for the booster now, but all in all, I mean, you know, not, not fun not to sit out for 10 days, but at the same time, uh, you know, I'm still in good health and right now I don't have any symptoms at all. So uh, just ready to, get the PCR back and, and and get back into the swing of things. No doubt, no doubt. I'm glad to, to hear that you're doing well and everything turned out okay and, and you're feeling good and to get you back on the beat. So today we have a full slate of Pistons topics for you, ranging from Hami Diallo to the Pistons big man situation to Cade Cunningham and the transition offense and everything else in between. I will also ask Amari about his time working around the Grizzlies organization and some comparisons between them and the Pistons. To finish off, we'll play Sheed or Sham with Amari using some fun stats from around the NBA. And even though we're a basketball podcast, we might bring in a few Lions Thanksgiving questions in the spirit of the season. But let's start off. We had maybe the most interesting, exciting, entertaining game of the season last night or two nights ago, I guess, when this drops on Tuesday. So Sunday night, um, Beef Sue, LeBron dusts up. The Pistons lose 116-121. We were joking about before we started. Good thing that we recorded when we did. We actually pushed this back 30 minutes due to my wife's eye appointment. So shout out to my wife because if not, we would have been recording right when the news dropped, the suspension link. So I'll let you drop that, Omari, and kind of what you thought about that little dust-up between Isaiah Stewart and LeBron James. Sure. So the uh, the league announced the punishment uh, literally about 15 minutes ago uh, at the time of us recording this pod. Isaiah Stewart got two games and LeBron got one game for the the altercation uh, during that, that Pistons-Lakers game on Sunday. And, uh, yeah, you know, it, it really was unfortunate that I wasn't there because that's probably, you know, even just from watching it on TV, uh, that, that might, that's up there as far as the angriest I've ever seen, <laughs> uh, you know, a player during a, a, a game. And that's not to say it wasn't justified because, you know, LeBron threw it pretty mean. Like, I keep calling it an elbow. People keep correcting people who call it an elbow, saying that it's actually a punch. Uh, I don't think LeBron was intending to throw a punch. I think he tried to throw the elbow and it just the way it connected, it just happened that his fist connected. But, you know, I guess the mechanics of what LeBron did aside, you know, looked pretty in- intentional, even if I'm not sure that he was actually trying to, uh, you know, bust the 
you know, Isaiah's eye open and, you know, and make him bleed, you know, like he was just like his entire face was covered with, with blood. Um, you know, with that said, you know, like it, it, it happened. Uh, Pistons did a great job. I thought of, you know, like preventing Isaiah from, you know, doing what he wanted to do. Cause he certainly got free a few times and, you know, was, was, was running toward the Lakers. Uh, you know, I, I, I think two games uh, for Isaiah Stewart and one game for LeBron, you know, it's pretty fair. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, the only person that really got hurt in the entire altercation was Isaiah Stewart. Uh, you know, despite his best efforts, the Pistons did a good job preventing him from uh, returning to favor. Uh, you know, I think I think one game for the elbow is about in line with what the league has done in the past. And then, you know, two games for Isaiah for, uh, you know, probably escalating it, you know, past the point to where, you know, ideally the Pistons probably would have liked to see him uh, kind of calm down a little bit. I mean, like he had just cause to be angry, but, you know, once you, you charge, you know, second and, and, and third time, the situation gets a little bit out of hand. So overall, I, I think it's, it's pretty fair. Uh, you know, it's two games. He'll miss the Heat game Tuesday. He'll miss the Bucks game Wednesday. And then he'll be back on Friday right on time for the West Coast swing. So uh, overall, I think, I think the, the punishments make sense. I think the league handled it pretty well. Yeah, that's what I would say. I understand why Stewart was so upset, and I get it, and I don't want to get into all the intense stuff. Like, at the end of the day, I think LeBron was swinging. I think you explained it well. Like, he was swinging. I don't think he meant to, like, make contact with his face and bust open his eye, but at the end of the day, it happened. You understand why Stewart was mad where I wanted Stewart to calm down a little bit. Like he had Kate in his ear. He had Dwayne Casey talking to him, looking him in the eye. Like I, I wanted to see him stop after the first charge, like the second and the third charge, like you said, is where I thought it started to get a little bit excessive. And I think if he would have stopped after the first, he probably would have got ejected, but maybe maybe not the, the suspension. What I want to ask about Omari is moving forward because I've had some people like tweet at me or text me or talk to me about, do you think Isaiah Stewart is now getting a reputation? Because James Edwards III put out a great article about who Isaiah Stewart and now I feel like he's going to be misunderstood and James's article was trying to counter that but do you think he's going to get a reputation around the league where maybe he's not getting the calls he should or he's getting ticky-tack calls or whatever like is that do you think he's already in that territory in his young career it's tough to say exactly how it'll impact him you know just from a getting cost standpoint but I certainly think just from a, a reputation of you know this is a guy that he doesn't necessarily want to mess with standpoint. Uh, you know, I think he certainly earned that. You know, I've been watching, you know, been watching LeBron his whole whole career like most people. I've never seen somebody go after LeBron like that. <laughs> he doesn't uh, care. You know, he you know, he he doesn't care. You know, I don't you know, I don't I don't say I have to put LeBron on a, a pedestal or anything like like that, but that's who Isaiah Stewart is. You know, if you're Blake Griffin, if you're LeBron, whoever, uh, you know, Isaiah's not wanting to necessarily start something, but if somebody else starts it, you know, Isaiah's going to do his best to finish it. And I think we've seen, you know, enough cases of of that. Uh, nothing like, you know, Sunday night, obviously. But, you know, we've seen that, you know, Isaiah certainly doesn't shy away from those moments. And, you know, certainly is a guy that wants to, uh, you know, kind of be that enforcer type type player. Uh, you know, he's only played, I mean, at this point, he's probably just played over, just over a full season of games or maybe just around it, you know, around it, 82 games. But we've seen it enough so far to where I think players certainly know you know, this isn't a guy that you want to elbow, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at, you know at, at the very least, because, you know, that's just not going to fight with him. Uh, as far as the refs and everything, it's kind of hard, hard to call it. But, yeah, you, you, you get into it with LeBron James. I think that's enough, you know, for people to know who you are. Yeah, and we've seen him go after, not go after, but like get in Giannis's face too and not, not back down. Like he, he just doesn't care. And, and you know, the, it's good to have a player like that on your team. You want that, that type of player. And obviously with Detroit and, and the city and the organization, he fits and a lot of fans. He's become a fan favorite very quick. And I just, I hope that stuff doesn't get lost with who he is as a player as well, because he also is a very good player and does a lot of really good things on the court. And I just don't want that to, that other stuff to be the overwhelming reputation or what people talk about when they talk about Isaiah Stewart. One thing, and then we'll get to number one pick, Cade Cunningham, and what he's looked like through 11 games now. But this was a tough loss against the Lakers. I think for the first time since I've been around, which is just almost a year coming up here in a week around the Pistons community, it's the first time I feel like all the fans wanted the Pistons to actually win a game that they lost. Like usually it's like, oh, good loss for the tank and whatever. But last night was a game between what happened, it being the Lakers, Cade Cunningham's triple-double. It felt like a game all fans wanted to win. Why do you think that is? Was it the reasons I outlined? And then also, what were your thoughts on the last play of the game, Omari? Sure. Well, I think for one, you know, it's a marquee game. 
uh, you know, it's the Lakers. You have players who, you know, properly around the league and, and the LeBron, Carmelo, you know, of course, even though, you know, Carmelo hasn't been uh, in, in his prime for a few years now, he's still a player that's extremely popular. And, you know, I think he's probably been more popular in, in Detroit and maybe in a lot of cities that he hasn't played for. And then obviously Russell Westbrook. So, uh, you know, that's a game that's similar to the, the Friday game against the Warriors. I think a lot of fans had circled. You know, it's a game that, you know, I'm sure it was a packed house in there, even though I wasn't there to actually verify that. And, you know, for the Pistons to just look like the better team for the entire first half and then for them to just kind of lose it after the uh, Jackson, uh, you know, I think I think Anthony Davis scored two thirds of his points. You know, he was, uh, you know, the best player on, on the floor for both teams. And he really didn't get going until after LeBron and Isaiah Stewart got ejected. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's one thing if the Pistons are just like neck and neck with the Lakers the whole way and then they lose, you know, on like the last few possessions. But when you're up, you know, I think they were up, you know, like 17 points, 15 points. And then the game just kind of gets away late. Uh, you know, I think that's just a tough one, you know, not only for the Pistons to swallow, obviously, but also for fans because, you know, for most of the game, it looked like they were going to win. And then uh, just all the good things we saw early on. I mean, the, the Chris Ball movement, uh, you know, guys were hitting shots, like just everything you would want to see. Uh, that all kind of disappeared and they kind of devolved back into the, the ISO possessions. You know, we saw that at the end of the game. Like you're not really seeing any, any ball movement. You know, it just seems like guys are, uh, you know, particularly I think Sadiq and, and Jeremy, you know, and Kane late in games too, we kind of just see them go one-on-one. And at this point, none of those guys have proven that they can consistently beat those type of ISO guys. So, you know, if, if not, not, nothing else, not to get back on Isaiah, but I think the challenge for him now is he's shown that he's could play. He's been a bit up and down this season, but obviously he's still recovering from, at least early on, but still recovering from the ankle injury he suffered over the summer that, you know, led him to miss a couple months. Um, you know, one, you know, and I think another thing about him, you know, charging the way he did Sunday night is that the Pistons are already shorthanded at, at center, right? So there's like that in the, the moment, you know, this guy busted my eye open and he's going to pay. And, you know, I think that type of energy can be really pr- productive, uh, you know, but when it gets to the point where you get suspended two games and, you know, you're the best defense against Anthony Davis and then he goes off after and you lose a winnable game. You know, I think that's kind of where the big picture comes in. And if there's a challenge for Isaiah Stewart, you know, it's just, uh, you know, to be the player you need to uh, to be, you kind of got to have that that big picture perspective in those moments, even if it's hard, you know, even if you have blood pouring down your, your face, which, again, I don't know if I've ever seen that much blood on a, a player's face before. So it's a pretty unique situation. But, you know, now the Pistons, they've already been small. Um, you know, the Lakers are not a small team. Uh, you know, they, they crushed them on the boards and, you know, Anthony Davis that that comeback. You know, now you're going against the Heat team with Bam. Uh, you know, now you're going against the Milwaukee team with Brick Lopez and Giannis. And two of your, your centers are out. You know, one got injured and one suspended. You know, I think when you when you stay after a certain point, you have to calm down. That's, that's kind of what you're talking about, right? You know, like it's the end of moment, you know, fire and fury that can get fans riled up and, you know, can something the team can rally around. And then there's that second step where it's, okay, now we got to win this game, right? And I think that's the challenge for Isaiah Stewart is just kind of knowing when to turn turn it off, uh, you know, which his, I think one of his best attributes is the fire he plays with. So you don't want to turn it off completely, but you got to know to dial it back a little bit. Uh, but to get back to the uh, topic, yeah, I think I, I think that in the game, we just saw the Pistons go back to those ISO possessions. Uh, that's not going to work against a team that has, you know, one of the best d- defenders in the league and Anthony Davis. You know, we saw him bottle up uh, Kay Cunningham twice on the same possession. Uh, you know, Kay's a rookie. He'll, you know, learn that he has to approach those situations differently. But we just see this offense, you know, devolve at the end of games. And, uh, you know, you can do that when you have uh, James Harden and Kevin Durant. You can't do that you know, with the team the Pistons currently have. So they got to maintain that that ball movement and the things that they were doing early. And they just haven't been able to do that for 48 minutes. Yeah, I think so. I want to stay on the big man. I know we said we were going to go to Cade Cunningham, but you kind of, you know, got into the big man situation a little bit. And I do think with Isaiah Stewart, it's like at a certain point, it's that happy medium, you know, with how aggressive he plays and how intense he plays, but also seeing the big picture. And at a certain point, I think he lost sight of that big picture. But let's talk about the big man situation. We've seen this team get hurt on the inside just a little bit anyway the last couple of games. You t- you alluded to the the upcoming matchups. Kelly Olynyk is out. This is twice now where we you know Isaiah Stewart rolled his ankle against the Warriors and then this game we didn't know how long the suspension would be it only ends up being two games but I guess it's kind of a two-folded question Omari one what are the short-term answers for this team 
I mean, maybe there's only maybe there's limited answers, but do you think it's Luca Garza? Do you think it's playing small? Is is it signing a free agent or making a trade for Marvin ba- Marvin Bagley? What are the short term answers? And then is this a long term issue that really you think is going to get addressed this off season? Yeah, well, I think on the short term, I think it's probably just playing small. Uh, you know, I think you have Luca Garza there as an emergency option, but at this point, you know, I don't think he's shown that he's a guy that can really. Uh, handle that center road to the extent the Pistons need him to at, at this point. Uh, you know, he's just not quite the, the defender he needs to be. And, you know, just from a shooting standpoint, like he can hit hit threes, but, you know, that's really the only thing you're really getting from him at this point. And, you know, I think, you know, the way the Pistons are looking at it, uh, you know, you can play Trey Lyles as a small five. You know, I think we saw Jeremy Grant technically in at the five, you know, at, at the end of last night's game. Uh, and you pretty much just have to go go small. Uh, you know, I don't think they really have so many options here. Uh, you know, they're going to be at a, at a size disadvantage. Uh, I mean, really, until Kelly Olynyk comes back. And even then, you know, this team was already lacking for size going into the season. So, uh, as you alluded to, it's going to be an ongoing issue. But in the short term, I think you just go small. You know, if it's a blowout game, then, you know, show you that Luka Garza run free. But I think we saw during that that uh, Cavs game two weeks ago that, uh, you know, Garza just isn't, quite NBA ready uh, from a, a, a defense standpoint and you are giving up a lot. So uh, best option is probably just to go small, just find a five-man unit that works, push the pace, move the ball, hope for the best. Uh, but you are going to be at a disadvantage there from a size standpoint. As far as addressing center, uh, you know, there have been a lot of rumors about Marvin Bagley. Uh, the Pistons really can't make a move for Bagley until December 15th, uh, you know, just, you know, like unless, uh, you know, I think I think they could trade Josh right now since he signed last uh, fall. Uh, there's some guys that, that they could could move, but um, you know, I, I I think that's an an option. You know, I, you know, I can't say whether or not I think it's, it's certainly going to happen. But uh, from a size standpoint, this team certainly needs help. Uh, you know, we saw we saw Bagley actually play against the uh, Pistons when the Kings were in town a couple weeks ago. You know, I don't know if that was coincidental or. If the you know if Sacramento was trying to say say, say something or not, it sure it sure like looked yeah. like maybe they were trying to uh, give him an audition, right? You know, it, it it did come off that way a little bit, and then there's some photos on social media of Marvin Bagley's dad just kind of you know exploring Detroit a little bit. So, uh, you know, there's a there, there's a little something there. Uh, you know, I don't think Marvin Bagley, you know, given that he's not a rotation player for a, a back Kings team, you know, I don't want to make it seem like he's like the answer to all their problems, right? Like, you know, obviously he's a recent. I mean, he was uh, the second overall pick in 2018, so still very young in his career. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the Pistons, I mean, you know, they, they do have a uh, size problem right now and that's only gotten worse, you know, since Kelly Olenek got hurt. So, you know, it's a, a situation to watch if nothing else, like again, this Pistons team, no matter what they do, they're not going to win many games. Like their best avenue to winning games is for, you know, K, Jeremy, Sadiq. Those guys got to be good every single night, you know, for the Pistons to win more games and they haven't been that. Like, I don't think there's a trade they can realistically make that's going to help them win more games. But if it's just more so we want a vertical threat, we want to be a better rebounding team, we want more size so that, you know, we're not playing guys out of position, then, yeah, from that standpoint, you know, I think it does make sense. And best-case scenario, you have a guy in Marvin Bagley who starts some upside and is on a team that actually needs him, right? You know, a team where he pretty much has to play because there's nobody else. So uh, the situation to watch, but, you know, I don't want to make it seem like this is a deal that's, you know, going to – you know, tip the skills on the rebuild or anything because, you know, Marvin Bagley's not, not not playing for the Kings right now. I wouldn't expect him to come into the Pistons and immediately average 20 in time. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and switch to Cade Cunningham. We've talked about him a few times. You've mentioned him a few times. We just He seems involved in everything um, which you would expect as the number one pick. And we've seen him for 11 games now, Amari. You know, it was a slow start in terms of the three-point shooting. And, and in general, the three-point shooting has been a little inconsistent. We've seen him really good in clutch late-game situations. And then as you alluded to, you know, Anthony Davis kind of, I feel like these guys in their rookie season have some welcome-to-the-league young man moments. And Anthony Davis definitely had one of those with him on that possession last night but we've seen a lot of really good things what what is and we'll get it we'll dive into some very specific things as we go through this little segment here Amari but what have just been your overall thoughts on Cade Cunningham you've seen him play in person you've also had to watch him on TV now what are your overall thoughts through his first 11 games well you know outside of those first three or four games when he just didn't really have his legs under him um, you know I think he's been Really good overall. You know, I think he's a lot of ways he's been the player he's been advertised to be. Uh, you know, not only just the way he kind of commands and paces the game, 
Uh, you know, it just seems like he does a really good job getting everybody involved. Uh, he's very patient. You know, he's the best pick and roll player, you know, as far as just making the right read on the roster. Um, you know, we've seen that, that class gene late. Uh, you know, he's hit big buckets in, in several games already. Uh, you know, he's the type of guy that can shoot like, you know, two for nine or whatever. And then, you know, you look up and he's hit his last four shots in the fourth quarter and somehow he has 16 points. Uh, you know, he's shown a lot of that and he's, it's only been 11 games, but you're seeing a lot of what made him almost the consensus number one pick uh, just after his, his freshman season at Oklahoma State. Um, you know, he hasn't been perfect. He had a really bad turnover late in last night's game. Uh, you know, he's had some bad turnovers late, you know, and that's been probably one of the biggest warts on him early has been the turnovers. He makes great reads, but, uh, you know, sometimes he makes reads a little bit late. You know, sometimes it seems like he underestimates just how quick NBA defenders are or uh, that NBA defenders can suss out what he's trying to to do and can just get to the ball before his teammate can. Uh, which, I mean, that, that's stuff that'll get better. You know, again, he's 11 games in. Uh, you know, I don't think it's realistic for any point guard to come in and, uh, you know, immediately get the speed and pace of the game down immediately. Uh, so those are things that he'll get better at. And then also uh, the shooting. Uh, he's been shooting the ball better, but it's still not quite where he wanted to be. Uh, he was one for eight from three in two of his last three games. He went one for eight. Uh, on the 17th, and then he went one for eight, one for nine for three, actually, uh, correcting myself a little bit, against the Lakers on Sunday. And he does like that three-point shot a lot, and he's going to knock him down. He hit 40%, you know, again, when he was in college. You know, all types of threes, like, you know, like sidestep, pull up, step back. I mean, it really isn't a three-pointer you can't hit. But, uh, you know, he's just taking a lot of them early, and we've seen that when he gets to the rim, he really can't get to the rim. That hasn't really been an issue for him at all. Uh, so some of that could be conditioning. You know, again, he missed all the training camp. He missed all the preseason. Uh, he only made his NBA debut uh, really, you know, about three weeks ago. So I think some of that is just him kind of pacing himself. You know, he doesn't want to exert the energy to get to the rim early just because he wants to save that, uh, you know, for, for for later. And as he you know gets his conditioning where it needs to be, I think we could probably see him more balanced. But overall, I mean, he's he's been good. Like, I think these are all nitpicks, right? Like, he's made clutch plays on offense and defense. I mean, we just see how he reads the game. Uh, he certainly looks like a number one pick. I mean, in the last three weeks, other than Evan Mobley, I mean, you could probably argue that he's been uh, the next best rookie in the NBA. And, of course, he's going to get better. So, overall, far more good than bad, but there has been some bad. No, I love that. I love that you kind of, because I was going to ask you if you felt like he was settling for threes or why he was settling for threes. And you went ahead and and answered my question, which I think the way you explained that makes a lot of sense. And because I I have, and you you brought up nitpicking because I feel like I do that. And I'm super excited about Cade Cunningham. And as you said, I think he's been as advertised. He's looked really good. All the intangible stuff has been there. But if there's one major nitpick for me, it has been like, okay, the, the three-point shot isn't quite there yet. Let's get to the rim, especially in quarters one through three. But it may make sense that he's just trying to get his legs and, and I don't know, playing the long game, which may be smart for, you know, for him um, because, like I say, the three-point shot hasn't necessarily been there or consistent yet anyway. I want to ask about the, the dynamic with Jeremy Grant. And I, I don't know. I, I'm just going to ask a question, Omari, or make a statement, I guess, and you can tell me whether you agree or not. I feel like... Cade has taken more ownership of the offense. I think it's slowly becoming more Cade's offense than Grant's offense, especially throughout the game. Would you agree with that? I think so. I think Cade is the best player on the roster with the ball in his hands, and he's. I think he's proven that pretty, pretty, pretty thoroughly. Uh, just because nobody else on the roster really combines his threat to score and to pass. Uh, you might, you know, a Killian can pass it, but he's not the, the same scoring threat. So I think something's open up for Kate that don't open up for Killian. So yeah, you know, nat- naturally, I think the Pistons drafted Kate to be that guy. And uh, yeah, so far, I think if you put the ball in somebody's hands, it's going to be a Kate's hands just because it turns everybody into a threat. So yeah, 100%. I agree. Do you think it's thrown Grant off just a little bit? And last night through three quarters, I thought Grant finally, like, I'm just going to let Cade get me open shots. Do you think it's thrown Grant off his game just a little bit? And I don't want this to sound like, oh, I'm saying Jeremy Grant's selfish, but do you think Jeremy Grant's holding on to it a little bit? Like, this was my offense last year. I was getting the shots. Everything was running through me. And maybe he's just pressing a little bit. And again, I'm not trying to say selfish. I'm not trying to say this like in a super negative way. But do you think it's caused Jeremy to adjust a little bit? And maybe that's a little bit of the reason for his inconsistency offensively? To an extent, I do think so. Uh, the Pistons didn't really have like that on-bar creator last year like they had with Kate. 
So, you know, there was really, you know, especially like er, early on, you had Blake, but Blake wasn't, I mean, you know, I don't really need to kind of walk through, through, through all of that, right? You know, he wasn't that guy. So, you know, so yeah, there was really nothing impeding Jeremy just from kind of getting his looks. Uh, you know, and I thought Jeremy really, I thought uh, last year, it seemed like he did a better job, especially early on too, just kind of really getting into a flow, uh, you know, just taking the easy shots, catch or shoot. Uh, you know, if you have space, attack the rim, get the finish, or, you know, you draw a foul because he's one of the best in the league at drawing fouls. And it seems like now, and it's not just Jeremy, I think we see it with Sadiq too, there is almost like that kind of push-pull of, you know, like obviously we are not, you know, like the primary on-ball guys, but we're still the scorers and our contributions to the offense are going to be scoring. And it's not really coming within the flow. And I think we're seeing Jeremy uh, kind of force the issue some, sometimes. Uh, I think some of it is just guys just kind of figuring out their role in real time. Like this stuff that you should have figured out during training camp and, and preseason. But, you know, Kate wasn't healthy. So now it's just playing out during games. And they're just trying to figure out the, the pecking order, right? You know, if Jeremy has the ball and he looks like he wants to score, uh you know, they're going to give him an opportunity to, to score because that's what they signed Jeremy to do. They signed him to come here and take the next step. And, you know, I think Jeremy's inclination is, uh, you know, I'm that guy. I need to be that guy. And sometimes it works and sometimes it, it doesn't. And there's probably just this filling out process that has to happen between Kate, you know, and Jeremy and Sadiq as far as them, you know, trusting that Cade will get them the ball in the right spot if it opens up. And, you know, and it goes both ways, too, you know, because we've seen K do some of those ISO possessions, too. And, you know, sometimes it works and it has worked really well. But then you also have possessions like that last play against uh, Anthony Davis last night, you know, when he got blocked twice. So uh, this is stuff that you normally that normally happens behind the scenes during training camp and maybe some, you know, in, in, in the season here and there. But all these guys are just trying to figure out, OK, how does this work? Because, you know, I think they're all not selfishly, but they're all trying to help the Pistons win. And it's just not. You know, they're not really fitting together like a, a puzzle right now. They're all just kind of selectively doing what they feel is right at the moment, but there's no real synergy between them. Absolutely. I agree with that. And it takes a, a while to build that chemistry. And like you say, the, the, all the time that Cade ended up missing was huge chunks of time, really, I should say, important time to develop that chemistry. I want to stick with the offense for just a little bit longer. And you talked about, you know, when I asked you about the big man situation and what the Pistons could do, you said, you know, kind of play small, play a little bit faster. I think that's transition offense and playing faster is something all fans have talked about. I think we've seen the Pistons make a conscious effort to do that over the last 10 games or so. But for me, I don't necessarily think that we need to be like the Suns, shoot it in eight seconds under Mike D'Antoni and one pass shot, all that type of stuff. I just want to see them be aggressive, like outlet to Cade. He dribbles it up, like not walking, but like jog up. And we're right into some sort of secondary action. Like, cause honestly, in true fast break situations, we haven't been that great. Do you think that that's something the Pistons want to do? Like whenever you've been around the organization and Casey, and I know it's been 10 days now, but is that something they talk a lot about of pushing the ball, even after a make, like everybody says you have to get a miss, but I think even after the other team makes a shot, Omari, we can get the ball out of bounds, outlet it and let's go. And let's just push the pace a little bit. And, and that actually helps with the flow of the offense. Would you agree with that? And do you think that's the something that Casey and the staff will continue to push. No doubt. Uh, Casey has said that he wants them to move and just get out and transition a bit more, uh, you know, especially early on. Uh, you know, he talked about, you know, guys like Josh and Hami being able to kind of push the ball and just get the offense moving and running early, uh, you know, because the uh, objective, like what you're getting at is you just want to keep the, the defense off balance, right? You want to have this energy and you want to have this air of, not knowing what's going to happen and that can generate, you know, some of those easy buckets that I think the Pistons have been better at getting the last week or so. But, you know, especially early in the season, we just really weren't seeing them get easy shots. It seemed like everything was just labored and took a really long time to happen if it happened at all. Uh, so, yeah, so that's one thing that I think we've seen K do pretty much from the start is, uh, you know, he can push the pace. And, you know, this isn't going to be like a Lob City team where you're like, you know, you're going rocket fast and you're, you know, making all these wild plays because they just don't have those types of those type of big athletes uh, uh, real quick I, I don't think we've connected do we have a how many true lobs have we finished this year 15 games in i i can think of one or two with like an actual dunk i mean there really haven't been any i mean and i could go back and check but i'm sure you could probably count on one hand and uh, you know they maybe only use a, a, a couple fingers <laughs> you know, maybe. <laughs> i mean there really haven't been many they really don't have any you know the best lob threat on the team honestly is Holly. Uh, so 
uh, you know, so it's not going to look like that. But you have shooters. I mean, K can shoot. You know, Killian shot the ball really well before his thumb started bothering him. Um, you know, Sadiq, like, I think he's only shooting. Uh, I haven't checked since last night's game, but he's only shooting 30% from three going in. So, you know, he really has within a stump. But Sadiq can obviously shoot it. Jeremy can shoot it. Frank can shoot it. Lyles, like, you have shooters. And you have a guy in K that can, uh, you know, people call him slow, but he's just patient, right? You know, he's going to wait for the right thing to open up when he's going to get you the ball. So, uh, you can certainly push the pace and get some of those things opened up. You know, I just think uh, the only guy that can really create those plays consistently so far has been, you know, Cade. And, you know, Cade is also still getting his feet wet and figuring out exactly what he can and can't do in the NBA. So, uh, but I think it really has gotten better, especially in this last week since Cade's gotten a little bit more comfortable for sure. I agree. And that's what you brought up some of these, you know, that's what I thought, you know, just pushing it, you know, it may create a cross match and an advantage, you know, um, for the Pistons, just confusion or the defense just relaxes and you create those advantages in that way. So that's why I want to see him push the pace a little bit more, but you led me right into the next segment. You mentioned his name a couple of times and that's Hamadou Diallo. Um, obviously we've seen him get his chance after it. We, we haven't really talked uh, on the podcast very much, or we haven't had an episode since what happened with Dwayne Casey a few games ago, where it looked like Casey asked him to go in and then you know whatever happened after that he ended up not going in I just want to kind of talk more about how Hami has played what you've seen from Hami the last two or three games where he's got his chance and now how complicated is this is this wing rotation again because you have Hami playing well I thought he played really well Sunday night against the Lakers Frank Jackson all of a sudden Omari has found his shot and is Josh Jackson the man out? Are they going to go super small with all three of those guys? How do you see this playing out now that two of those guys are playing really well? And I don't think Josh was playing that bad. For sure. Yeah. So one, I just kind of want to, you know, like starting off with Hami, I kind of want to, uh, you know, for some in the fan base, there's been a belief that Hami never should have fallen out of the ro- rotation. You know, I saw some frustration there. And, you know, you mentioned that game against Cleveland when he was going to check in. And, um, you know, he ended up not checking in. He sort of had a disagreement with Casey, and Casey just said, no, you're not playing. And, you know, Troy got involved and all that. Uh, you know, I think especially after that, I just saw a lot of people online saying, Bobby should have been playing, you know, since the start. You know, he's too good to sit, uh, this and that. And there's like two kind of misconceptions happening here when it comes to Hami that I want to clear up. One, Hami was in the rotation at the beginning of the season. He played six of the first seven games. And he wasn't playing nearly as well as he was playing now. I wouldn't say he was playing bad, but those types of energy plays that you saw him repeatedly do against the Lakers on Sunday, uh, you know, just weren't really there to the same extent. And Casey, I think he's pretty consistently stuck with a 10-man rotation. Uh, Hami didn't sit, not necessarily because he was struggling per se, but he sat because Kate came back. The first game Hami sat was against Orlando, and that was again Kate came back. And then he played two games after that. And then he, you know, missed the next, you know, I want to say five or six games. And that's just because K came back. He got a 10-man rotation and he wanted everybody to get, you know, reasonable minutes when they're in. Uh, You know, I think it made sense for Hami to be flexed out. You know, I thought Josh, you know, started the season really, really well. Uh, Frank struggled to shoot. But Josh does give you a lot of what you get from Hami. And Frank is the best shooter of the three and it's not even close. And... You know, I saw some backlash against Frank. Like, well, Frank's struggling, why don't you just play Hami? But you have to – but if you know Frank can shoot, he's just in a slump, then ideally you play him and let him break out of the slump. Uh, you know, it just seems like there's a lot of impatience when it comes to the rotation. And so far, I don't think anything's happened that just really didn't make sense at all. Uh, you know, Josh, you know, played over Hami because Josh was playing better. Frank got the minutes because Frank's the best shooter at the three of if the shots aren't falling. And this is a team that really, especially early on, they couldn't leave any potential shooting off of the off of the table. I mean, they were they were setting records. They were so cold from from three. So, you know, no, you're obviously not going to bench Frank during that. Uh, but since Hobby has come back, you know, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think Josh, I think after a while that the turnovers began to get a little excessive. And, you know, I think it just like even just separate from, you know, the incident with the Cavs, I think it just made sense to just give Hamby a chance there. And it's paid off. I mean, you know, his best two games of the season have been his last two games. And, you know, sometimes after guys sit for a while, they kind of get that hunger and they come in and they play with more energy. And we're seeing Hamby play with significantly more energy than he played with early on, I think. Like, I think his energy has just been off the uh, charts. And that's not to say he was bad early, but there's been a noticeable difference. So with all of that said, you know, realistically, I think we probably still will only continue to see, uh, you know, well, while they're banged up, probably not. But once they get healthier, 
we will continue to probably see only two of Josh Homme and Frank in the rotation. And it may just be a matchup dependent thing. And it may just be hey, whoever's better at the time will play type type of thing. Uh, Cause I think one thing Homme does give the Pistons that they don't really get from anybody else is just those energetic hustle plays. You know, Homme did not, you don't have to call plays for Homme. Uh, you know, he's going to die for loose balls. He's going to, you know, position himself near the rim. You know, he's going to go for offensive rebounds. He's a really good rebounder for his size. And he's an above-the-rim threat in a way that really nobody else on the, the team is. You know, he's a much better athlete than Josh. You know, Josh may handle the ball and pass it a little bit better. But, you know, when you have Cade, you have Corey, you know, and once Killian comes back, you have ball handling. And that's I think that's something that is pretty big is you have a guy in Hami who's comfortable just making those hustle plays, you know, kind of filling in the gaps you know, giving some energy, some athleticism, things that they haven't had, you know, and that's one thing that I think he's proven pretty thoroughly in the last two or three games. So, uh, yeah, you know, I think it's going to be tough to play all three of those guys once, you know, Killian comes back and especially once Kelly comes back just because this is a 10-man rotation and it seems already pretty small as is, so you really can't leave any minutes, uh, you know, off off, off of the, of the table going small. Like, one of those guys are going to sit. Uh, but, yeah, but I think Kami's made a great case for himself. Uh you know, Frank, as long as he's shooting the ball pretty well, he's probably safe, honestly. But, you know, Hami can certainly kind of separate himself if he continues to play the way he did on, on Sunday against the Lakers. Yeah, it's been great to see him play well. And and with that energy, and you bring up a good point, like I feel like whether J- Dwayne Casey did it intentionally or with the Cade stuff or coming back, like it, it maybe it sent a little bit of a message to Hami. It, it grew that hunger back inside of him, and hopefully he'll continue to play with that. And it'll be interesting to watch that wing situation play out once the team gets healthy. But even here when they're not healthy to see if they do play small and let all three of those guys play together a little bit. We got to do this more often, though, Amari, because you're just leading me right into the next thing because you bring up Killian Hayes and the injury and I wanted to touch on that before we got to the Memphis Grizzly Detroit Piston um, comparison so it came out today reported by all you beat writers and I, I you can only tell us so much you may know more but what can you tell us as far as the injury and how the Pistons are going to handle it is this going to be a week by week thing I think he's out for the rest of the week right the two games this week um, or at least the next two games is it going to be you know two games by two games do you have any idea kind of what this may mean long term for Killian Hayes with that thumb yeah I mean well the thumb was you know like ailing him for sure I mean we could just see it pretty visibly every time he fell or every time he got bumped or anything you know he was grabbing at his thumb and I think it certainly impacted you know the way he, he played he was shooting the ball really well from three and, you know, I think the last two games before he sat, he became a little bit more conservative in taking those threes. He had a couple of bad misses. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the thumb was very clearly bothering him to the point to where it was impacting his ability to play. And uh, I think I, I kind of tweeted, you know, actually after Friday's game, like, you know, I wonder if they're going to have to shut him down because it's just, you know, it's not healing. Uh, you know, it's just not healing. Uh, you know, you could continue playing him, but it's not going to get better. And that's what they ended up doing. So he's going to miss Tuesday's game. He's going to miss Wednesday's game. And he would be eligible to return on Friday, uh, you know, which by then he would have had, uh, you know, four or five days off. So, or actually a week off because his last game played was actually Friday. So, you know, maybe the week off would help. Uh, you know, it's tough to say, uh, you know, just because, uh, you know, it's a left thumb sprain. So it's probably not going to heal completely at any point. So it's just the question is, to what extent can they manage it in the season? And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he misses more games from here, honestly. Uh, it may just be something that they just have to periodically rest until, you know, he's able to – until it's able to heal to the point where he, he doesn't have to do this anymore. But it's just unfortunate overall just because he's he's already missed so many games. He had to hit last year. Uh, you know, he's already missed some games this year. Uh, you know, it just seems like it's always something that – He's starting to find his groove and how this happens. So it's just pretty unfortunate. It is. It's sad whenever you see these young guys. I mean, any guy miss times, but especially these young guys. And you you know it's just hurting their development. Um, and especially, like you say, last season with the amount of games he missed. But before we go sheet or sham and, and have a little fun with that, I want to ask you about just, you know, Memphis and Detroit. And just what, what are some similarities between the two cities and any similarities you feel like you see between the two organizations? Sure. And I'm sure a lot of you, uh, the listeners already know, but just... Just for a little background on that, uh, before I move back home, they covered the Pistons uh, April 2020, uh, covered the Memphis Grizzlies really athletic for a year and a half. So, uh, you know, I covered them, uh, started covering them a little bit after they uh, started uh, playing in that 2018-19 season, you know, covered Jaron Jackson Jr.'s rookie season. And then, you know, it's at the lottery when they uh, got the number two pick, drafted Ja, uh, the whole die. And I do see parallels between the Pistons and the Grizzlies just because they were sort of in similar 
points when I started covering the the team, and they've had similar lottery luck uh, after I started covering the uh, team. So the Grizzlies, you know, they have Mike Conley and, and Mark Gasol. And, uh, you know, they're just kind of like in that in-between phase. Like, you know, I think this area is clearly done, but, you know, we're not going to make any, any moves yet. Uh, we're going to give it one last go. You know, then they had some injuries and it kind of just fell apart. So they traded uh, Mark uh, before the end of that season, before the trade deadline to Toronto. And then they traded Mike uh, to Utah uh, that following summer. And, um, you know, and then the Pistons, obviously, you have Blake and Derrick Rose. You trade uh, Derrick Rose, you buy out Blake. You know, and then the Grizzlies get Ja and the Pistons get Cade Cunningham. So, yeah, early on, uh, I would say, uh, you know, just some pretty strong similarities there. Uh, but I think one thing the Grizzlies have done really well in their rebuild that the Pistons will probably need to do just as well if they want to uh, get out of the NBA basement sooner rather than later is the Grizzlies have done a really good job of nailing those small moves that can really pay off. You know, they got Tyus Jones. They signed him to a really good deal away from Minnesota, and Tyus has quietly been one of the best backup point guards in the NBA, uh, one of the absolute best at not turning the, turning the ball over, a good shooter, uh, you know, just a really good player. They got uh, DeAnthony Melton and Josh Jackson from Phoenix, I believe, for Javon Carter. And I actually need to double-check that, that trade. But really, they got uh, DeAnthony Melton and Josh for, like, absolutely nothing. And while Josh didn't pan out, DeAnthony Melton, again, uh, one of the best backup guards in the league, plays a lot bigger than his size. Uh, you know, just got a massive wingspan, great defender, great rebounder for his size. Uh, routinely one of, the, one of the league leaders in, you know, seals and deflections per game. Uh, you know, just an overall great player. Now, you know, they got Kyle An- Anderson on a really good, you know, mid-level deal. Kyle Anderson, you know, I think he's always been one of the, the more underrated players in the NBA and also extremely fun to watch. You know, they got Desmond Bain in the second round. They got Xavier Tillman in the second round. Uh, you know, just all these small moves that in a moment don't seem that big. But when you're building a team, you need depth. And obviously having a superstar in Jai helps. But, you know, for them, you know, for them to still be pretty respectable, even, you know, with Jeremy in so many games last year, you know, obviously making the the playoffs. It's all those small moves that kind of add up. And, you know, and then you look up and down the roster and they have a bunch of guys younger than 24 who can all play. Uh, you know, like that's what the Pistons need. You know, like it, it helps to, you know, get the high lottery picks. You know, of course, you know, you, you had Killian and Kate back to back and there's still some question marks with Killian, but I think he has the makings of being a really good, Kind of combo esque guard, uh, you know. Sadiq and Isaiah, I think, were really good for the job positions, even if you know they both kind of struggled a bit to start this season. Uh, but you know, the Pistons haven't had a lot of cap space. Uh, you know, the cap space they have had, you know, they've used on you know like Mason Plumlee, Kelly Olynyk, like you know, fine signings. You know, not not bad at all. But uh, but for them, uh, you know, especially with some cap space coming up, you know, if they want to mimic what the Grizzlies are doing, they're really going to have to get some of those smaller moves down pat. And uh, we haven't seen as much of that so far. And that's probably an area, you know, if you want to see them improve and kind of get this thing rolling, it's the small moves for sure. Like, obviously, you need lottery luck, but you got to have a, a, a deep roster, too. And their depth this season really hasn't been where it needs to be. Yeah, I agree. And so I looked up that trade and it was you, you essentially had it right. It was Melton and Josh Jackson and two second round picks to the Grizzlies for Javon Carter and Kyle Korver. So, um that, that that's what that trade ended up being. So I agree. You know, there's, I think there's still another major move. Obviously, the Pistons are going to have to nail moving forward, but I think there's some other small moves that they're going to have to get right as well for those surrounding pieces, um, especially once you have to start paying some of these guys, which where the Grizzlies are starting to get into that role of having to you know make smart contracts or sign car- smart contracts. So I, just a couple questions, and then we'll get to Sheet or Sham. Which team wins a playoff first? What do you think between the Pistons and the Grizzlies? I'm going to go with the Grizzlies because we've kind of seen the East and the West flip in strength where the East seems like it's stronger than the uh, the West this season. And some of that's just because of injuries. I mean, Denver's not where they should be because of some injuries. Uh, but, you know, I think just given that the Grizzlies are a little bit ahead in their rebuild just because they got to start it a year sooner. And, uh, yeah, you know, and they've already been to the playoffs once. So I think just from a timeline standpoint, uh, they're probably a little bit closer than the Pistons are. Uh, I mean, the Pistons certainly are going to make the playoffs this year, um, you know, so maybe they could get there in 2023. 
Uh, but the Grizzlies are just a little, little bit ahead. So I, I feel like that's probably the, the, the safer guess right now. Absolutely. So one last one. And I just want everybody to know this was definitely Wes's question because I don't know anything about music. Um, but better music, Motown or the blues rock and roll? I don't know if you're a music guy or not. I saw you post something about a, a song this morning. I clicked on it and had no clue. So I didn't even listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, better music. Well, overall, like I got to go off the Detroit. I mean, you know, I think Detroit's just impacted the culture in so many different areas. Whether it's rap, whether it's you know, you mentioned Motown, you know, like the the techno scene, uh, you know, like the the rock scene. Like I think overall, yeah, I mean, you know, I grew up, you know, on Motown. So uh, yeah, it's a hometown bias, obviously, but I really do have to, to go with Detroit here. Uh, with that said, uh, I will say that the Memphis rap scene. Uh, it has been one of the strongest scenes in the country. I mean, you know, honestly, for, for decades. But you even just look at the last 10 years, I mean, so many rappers have come out of Memphis and made it pretty big. Uh, you know, like I love Detroit rap, and I'm not going to Detroit rap at all. But I think nationally, um, you know, Memphis rap has been bigger. And, you know, there are probably more rappers who have, you know, reached some semblance of being mainstream out of Memphis, uh, you know, outside of just like the obvious heavy hitters like Eminem and Big Sean and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I do love some Memphis rap, you know, when I was down there, I got into it, you know, some of the more underground artists. And I mean, yeah, the rap scene in Memphis is insane. But if we're talking music as a whole, I got to go with Detroit uh, 100%. Nice, nice. Okay, so when we get done recording, because I'm not going to embarrass myself on the episode, I'm going to ask you some of those rappers from Memphis you're talking about and see if I know who any of them are, if I recognize any of them. <laughs> but I don't want to do it on the episode because that, that'll just be an embarrassment. So we're going to move into Sheet or Sham. We got a little over 10 minutes here to get through this. So we're going to start off with some Lions Thanksgiving Day themed trivia. So um, for first-time listeners and for Omari, just to explain the rules, Sheed means it's true. So it's essentially true or false. Sheed is true. Ball don't lie. Rashid Wallace. Sham means it's not true. Okay, so it's essentially a true or false question, Sheed or Sham. So we'll start off with the first one here, Lions Thanksgiving Day themed one. The Lions hold the record for the shortest overtime period in an NFL regular season game, Omari. Is that Sheed or Sham? That sounds like she, just because that sounds like a Lions stat, uh, you know, and I'm assuming that it was the, the shortest because they immediately lost. So, <laughs> so I'm definitely going to go with she there. You are correct. That is Sheed. A 13-second overtime set on Thanksgiving Day loss to the Bears who returned the kickoff for a touchdown. Now, the overall game is actually, I don't know, I'm sure everybody remembers Tim Tebow to Demarius Thomas. They had an 80-yard connection against the Steelers in a wild card game. So that was a playoff game. But the Lions still hold a regular season one. Next one, Joey Harrington and the Dolphins, who had never thrown a touchdown on Thanksgiving through three versus current Lions coach Dan Campbell, who was currently a player, and the Lions in his second career Thanksgiving win. So let me, I'll reread. Joey Harrington, who had never thrown a touchdown on Thanksgiving, threw three versus Dan Campbell and the Lions in his second career Thanksgiving win. Yes, yes, Sheed. <laughs> that is also Sheed, and that was the last Thanksgiving win of his career. Harrington led his Dolphins to a win, and the Dolphins actually gave Dan Campbell his first head coaching gig in 2010 as an interim head coach. What are your thoughts on Dan Campbell um, just in general? I know there's a lot of different thoughts about him. He's a very animated guy. I don't follow the Lions real close, to be honest with the listeners, but I do try to a little bit since I have a Pistons podcast, and I know NFL is keying a lot of places. What are your thoughts on Dan? Campbell so I did used to watch every single Lions game religiously up until maybe 2015 but every year it was where Aaron Rodgers let the Thanksgiving comeback like I fell asleep on that game because the Lions were up and then I woke up and you know my roommate was like screaming at the TV and I woke me up and like since then like you know I've been very much more of a sporadic Lions watcher just because I enjoy having a nice Sunday or a nice Thanksgiving you know it's just better ways to it's better ways to live your life. But I've been watching them a lot more this season, especially since, you know, like I've, I've been home. It was a little bit tougher to catch from when I was living in Pittsburgh and Memphis. Uh, I didn't like the way they closed that game against the Bears on Sunday. Uh, you know, like you <laughs> you run up the middle on third and 14 or whatever it was. And you know, as soon as they punted the ball on fourth, it was just like, they're not going to win this game. Like, I mean, that was a game right there. Like, there's just zero chance they're going to win this game. Like, especially with Tim Boyle. And I mean, I mean, no disrespect to Tim Boyle, but I'm just like, they're not going to win this guy. Uh, you know, so that I thought that loss was on uh, Dan Campbell. Overall, like, I think it's really hard to judge any uh, coach with this team just because they – this team is just so deficient 
up and down the board talent wise. I mean, they've had several injuries. Like they don't have a good wide receiver. Uh, I mean, you know, now they have the quarterbacks. have been good. Like you know, I know a lot of people were pretty high on Jared Goff coming in, uh, but he just really hasn't been that good. Uh, you know, I just don't know what what coach you could hire that would get this team to be substantially better than they've been. And anytime you have a rookie head coach, I mean, they're going to be mistakes. So some of them you kind of have to live with that. Uh, with all of that said, because if you give me, like, I could dump on the Lions all night, you know, if you give me enough time. <laughs> you know, I do, I like, I, I, I do like Dan Campbell. You know, like, I like his, his passion. Uh, you know, I like how much he cares. Um, you know, the coaches, I mean, the Lions have had some truly awful coaches. Uh, you know, so, you know, I think the uh, bar that he has to clear is not particularly high, but he has cleared it. Uh, I haven't seen anything that makes me question whether he can coach a winning football team. And I think the next step for the Lions is just getting some talent. You know, I don't know if they find a quarterback in this next draft, but, I mean, the team is just, just just needs talent. You know, it's just really hard to judge a coach with the roster that they have and why he hasn't been perfect. Uh, you know, if I'm listing the reasons why the Lions are losing, you know, I don't, I don't think he's top three, so – Absolutely. Okay, last one, and then we'll get back to the NBA. The Lions lost to Tom Brady in his first Thanksgiving Day action. Sheed or Sham? Ooh. You know, like, I would go with Sham just because that doesn't sound right, but because it's a question, I'm inclined to go Sheed because otherwise I would just assume that he won. So the answer is actually Sham. You should have stayed with Okay. <laughs> I never thought it. <laughs> yeah. So his and that was, the key word there was action. It wasn't a start. So he threw three passes and a 34 to 9 loss to Detroit on Thanksgiving 2000. Uh Drew Bledsoe was still starting at that time. That was before the injury and all that. So he came in and just played a little bit in a blowout. 2 years later, he did win his first start on Thanksgiving Day 20 to 12. Um, didn't have necessarily a, a banner today, but he did get a win. So let's move it back into some NBA stuff. So this first one is more about, do you think this will be true throughout the rest of the season or do you think it'll be false? So Sheed or Sham, the Golden State Warriors are the best team in the West, Omari. Is that Sheed or Sham for the rest of the season? Sheed. Uh, you know, I thought the Warriors, uh, you know, I don't want to say dark horse because, like, I mean, everybody knows how good this team could be when everybody's healthy. Uh, but they just needed some things to go right to kind of get up to a hot start. Like you needed Jordan Poole to make a leap, and he's done that. You needed Draymond to be a bit more engaged, and he's been that. They needed Steph to kind of pick up where he left off last season, and he's done that. Uh, so, I mean, like I had them country be making the playoffs. I know some people were a bit lower on them, like maybe six, seven seed, depending on how good Clay is. I thought they were going to be a top four team. Uh, I don't know if I expect them to be number one, but it's just hard to see how they lose this momentum, right? I mean, you know, Clay is probably going to be back for the end of the year. And if Clay is 80% of, you know, the Clay Thompson we've uh, been watching his whole career, uh, it's kind of hard to see how any team other than maybe Milwaukee, uh, you know, beats them in seven. So I'm going to go with Sheed for sure. I think the Warriors are back. They look really good. Jordan Poole has been huge. It sounds like Clay is going to be back before Christmas. I think he's been cleared for five-on-five activity. Like like you say, like sometimes when you get a hot start, then it's like what keeps the momentum going? Well, adding Clay Thompson is going to add a lot of momentum to that team. Like that's a that's a great mid-season addition for this team that hasn't had that guy in how, however long. And so I, I think I'm with you. I think they might be the best team. Steph is playing unreal, and I think he's trying to make one last run at it. All right, the Lakers, who we just saw on Sunday night. Carmelo Anthony is shooting 45% from three right now. He will end the season above 40% from three. And I can give you some context if you want about his career from three. I don't think he's ever shot 45%. Okay, so he's done it three times in his career over over 40, just over 40. Uh, Last season, he was at 42 and then two seasons with the Knicks. But his career three-point percentage is 36%. So Sheet or Sham, he'll end the season above 40%. Yeah, that's a good one. I go with Sheet, you know, just because on on this row, I mean, he's very clearly, you know, at best fourth in the pecking order. And I think that just kind of lends itself to him taking pretty good shots. Uh, You know, he's always been a a really good three-point shooter. You know, I just think, you know, if you look at his entire shot diet over the course of his career, you know, he's taken a lot of, you know, step back kind of contested looks. But, yeah, on this team, like, he should be getting some really good looks, even though, you know, I don't think LeBron and Westbrook fit that well together. But regardless, his role is pretty defined. You know, as we saw, I guess the, the Pistons, he can still heat up here and there. Uh, but I think that's doable for sure. Especially since he's done it pretty recently. I think on this team, 
100%. He can maintain that. I agree. Like, I, I thought he looked really good. And I think he's one of those guys, to his credit, he's accepted this new role. I think there's an important role for him on that Lakers team. Like you said, like between LeBron, Russ and, and AD, and you may question those fits, but they, they tried to put shooters around him. And I think he understands what he needs to do. And at least Sunday night, it looked like he's doing it at a high level and whenever the team needs him to do it. So two more, and then we'll let you get out of here, Omari. And we're going to look at teams that the Pistons are about to play. So Miami Heat tonight, if you're listening this to Tuesday morning, whenever it drops and kind of an obscure stat. I, I kind of went funny with this one, but Bam Adebayo is top five in the NBA in box outs per game with 3.6. And I'll define a box out per game. A box out is defined as the number of times a player made physical contact with an opponent who was actively pursuing a rebound, showed visible progress or strong effort in disadvantaging the opponent and successfully prevented that opponent from securing the rebound. So I know this is kind of an obscure one, Amari. I'm sorry, but is Bam Adebayo top five in the NBA in box outs per game? I'm going to guess yes. And uh, believe it or not, it's been, a, it's been a while since I checked uh, the NBA's box out stats. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to go. Yeah, I mean, that just sounds like a. That just sounds like a bad thing to do, so I'm going to go shoot. Yeah, that's – I don't know how I got down that <laughs> rabbit hole, to be honest. I, I don't know. I just got on NBA.com, and I'm like, holy cow, they have box out stats. Okay, like let's – so do you want to – and you're correct. He, that is Sheed. He's third in the NBA at 3.6. Um, guess who leads the Pistons? I mean, you know, I would I would lean toward guessing Isaiah Stewart just because he's the best rebounder on, on the roster. But it, this is another example of – you're asking the question, and that's the obvious pick. So it makes me think it could be somebody else. But I'm just going to stick with Isaiah Stewart because I don't know who else it could be. It's actually Luca Garza, which makes Garza. Wow. Okay. But I feel like it makes sense because he knows he's not getting a rebound if he doesn't box out. So, I mean, and I would like to see. Sometimes I question this stuff with NBA.com in general. Like I go through some of the box score highlights. I'm like, really? They counted that as an assist, or they gave the steal to that person? Um, I'm sure it's not easy to do that for all the games, but. Um, yeah, Luca Garza, who is who they have leading the Pistons. I think Isaiah Stewart was right there, either maybe even tied or right below him just a little bit. Gobert, who leads the NBA in rebounds, is actually 25th in this stat. So um, take those take those box out stats for what you will. But last one, Milwaukee Bucks, who we play on Wednesday night. Drew Holiday has the best individual defensive rating on the Bucks. Sheed or Sham? I think that's Sheed for sure. He's actually eighth with 109. Wow. Here's the thing, though. He he missed some games. He missed some time, right? Yeah, you know, I know they've, they've been banged up. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't even think he played the first time the Pistons played the Bucks earlier this season. So, Whenever I looked this up, I started putting this together uh, probably five or six days ago. He was like second to last in his deep. So I think it's one of those things where maybe some in some limited time he had some bad – you know, some, some bad rating. Um, and now he's moved up to eighth. Brooke Lopez is last, as you can imagine, at 115. George Hill leads. Giannis, Giannis is a close second. They're 14th in NBA as a team. But I thought that was interesting too. I would have guessed that, that Drew Holiday was definitely, um, or at least top two or three with Giannis. For sure. And I'm checking his numbers now. Yeah, he's only shooting 38% overall and 36% from three. And I know the, the Bucks are only around 500 right now. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I guess in hindsight, it makes sense that, that Drew would be struggling. Uh, you know, I haven't looked at the Bucks a whole lot since they played the Pistons. But in my mind, I'm like, well, you know, somebody's got to be playing well, right? You know, I know Giannis <laughs> is playing well. You know, I'm sure Drew, you know, I know he's been hurt a little bit. Maybe he's playing well, too. But that I certainly explained some of their struggles early on because, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's only shooting 32% uh, from three and 38 overall. So yeah, that's not good. All right, real quick. And then I, I just want to get your thoughts on this heat team before we play them Tuesday night. And then we will, we'll, we'll, we'll cut the episode there, but what did you think about their off season? What do you think about their roster construction before we see our Pistons play them? Did you like what they did with Kyle Lowry? And would you think this is a team that really has a chance to go win an NBA championship? Yeah, I thought they had a good off season for sure. Uh, you know, Kyle Lowry is not getting younger and that's probably the only thing, the only real downside uh, you know, to them signing him is that, you know, you probably hope, you know, realistically you get, uh, you know, two two years of him, you know, still being one of the top guards in the East uh, or, you know, like at least above average. But with that said, you know, I think Kyle kind of fits his team like a, a glove. I mean, he's just a really tough nose, uh, you know, point guard, obviously one of the best defenders, you know, at his position, uh, particularly at his size in the league. It has been for a while, uh, you know, very much in that Jimmy Butler mode, 
And I think just to get some more ball handling next to, uh, you know, Jimmy Butler certainly makes sense. So I do like this Heat team a lot. You know, I think they've probably been a bit better than I would have guessed. And that's kind of coupled with, obviously, some some teams kind of coming out of the gate code. But they comfortably look like a playoff team. I mean, I like I like Bam a lot. Uh, you know, definitely one of the more unique centers in the league. It's always fun to watch him play. Uh, you know, Jimmy, I'm sure you won a lot of fans with that playoff series against the Lakers last year in the bubble. Uh, you know, Jimmy's always been one of the more fun players in the league to watch and just follow in general, you know, just because of his personality. Uh, yeah, you know, I think they've got some good bench pieces. Uh, Tyler Hero's been a lot better than he was last season, I think. And then, you know, of course, they had a P.J. Tucker, too, and he's been big for them. So, yeah, this is a good Heat team. You know, I don't know if I would take them over, you know, Milwaukee in seven. I don't know if I would take them over a Brooklyn in seven, you know, especially if they get Kyrie back at some point. Uh, but overall, I mean, I think they pretty clearly look like a top, you know, uh, four or five team in, in, in the East. And whoever they face in the playoffs are going to put up a good fight against. Absolutely. That's not a team that's going to be a fun to play in a seven-game series come playoff time. Um, that, that's all the time we have today. We're at that 60-minute mark, so I better shut it down here. I had, have a few other questions we could get into, but I definitely have Amari back if he'll come back. Thank you so much for joining us again, and I just want to give you a chance to plug everything you're doing, where everybody can find you, and all the great stuff and great Pistons content you put out. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, everybody could follow me on Twitter at my first and last name. That's O-M-A-R-I, S as in Sam, A-N-K-O-F-A. Uh, you can find all of my content uh, at freep.com. That's, of course, F-R-E-E-P. And, yeah, this was a ton of fun, Bryce. We'll do it again, and thanks a lot for having me. Absolutely. Man. I always have a blast when I get a chance to talk uh, Detroit Pistons and NBA with Amari. As always, a special thank you to Wes Davenport, who produces the Motor Ho- City Hoops podcast for me and does an incredible job creating the outline, takes all sorts of notes to help the episodes better for you, the listener. And I always want to thank all of you for making Motor City Hoops part of your lives. I've had a few people reach out recently with very kind words, and I appreciate that so much. It truly means a lot. Motor City's Hoop next episode will be tonight, Tuesday the 23rd, with another instant recap and reaction episode dropping about an hour after the game is over versus the Miami Heat. We will also record one after the game on Wednesday versus the Bucks, and then be back with a full-length weekly episode next Tuesday with editor of Detroit Bad Boys, Sean Corp. Thank you for listening. Go Pistons, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Please give us a rating, drop a review, and subscribe. For more content, including video breakdowns, make sure you follow us at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. I hope you join us next episode. Until then, be safe and be well.